The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 32, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. This isn't a real Kist and Solak Show, but I didn't want to give it some corny name like Behind Enemy Lines or some crap like that. What this is, is Ben won't be with me today. We'll be on in the morning previewing the Eagles defense against the Jaguars offense. But for right now, we have Zach Goodall from Locked On Jaguars joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. That's G-O-O-D-A-L-L. He covers the Jaguars and he is going to give us some insight on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Give us a feel for their struggling offense, their quarterback situation with Blake Bortles and Cody Kessler, their defense, whether or not they're the same defense, better for worse. So this is going to give us a good overview of what the Jaguars look like from someone that covers the team. I hope you enjoy and let's kick it over to that right now. And joining me today from Locked On Jaguars is my good friend, Zach Goodall. Zach, how you doing, brother? Uh, I, I was doing good when I saw the Jags might have been making a quarterback change and then Monday came and shattered my dreams. So just about your average normal start to your week. How do you feel about scoring less than 10 points in three games with the immortal Blake Bortles? <laughs> See, that sounds horrible, but <laughs> but wait, but when you really dive into it and, and, and you got three drives out of 16 in the first half going for 40 plus yards and the rest sticking about 20 or less. I don't even remember exactly how many were three and outs because I started to cry as I was putting those together. <laughs> that 
that tells you just about where it's at, man. Yeah. So, I mean, let's let's dive right into it, Zach. You guys are in a similar situation. You're off to a three and four start in a mediocre division. Uh, what's the feeling around this team right now? Because I'm just starting to really dig into this Jacksonville Jaguars team after having watched them a few times live and some all 22 because they ended up playing like the Titans or something like that. And I ran across their film. So if I say anything that's off base, please let me know. But Blake Bortles was benched for Cody Kessler last week. And I guess my question would be, well, why would you have either of those quarterbacks on your roster? And how, <laughs> and how can this team turn things around this year when that's the type of quarterback play that you're getting, especially when you're missing your starting left tackle and you're only one play away from giving significant playing time to a guy like Eric Flowers? You're missing your starting left tackle, your key reserve left tackle. You're plugging in a guy that's never taken a snap at left tackle as your third string. He's a converted right guard. And your two quarterback options are Blake Bortles and Cody Kessler. I mean, this is like Canadian League style football at this point. I'd rather be watching that. Just, uh, there might be better talent out there. In all, in all seriousness, <laughs> when you look at this offense, they've devoted themselves to shadowing Blake Bortles deficiencies by a power run game. Sometimes it's worked when Leonard Fournette has proven that the theory of him being made of paper mache is correct. Things go haywire and they brought in Cody Kessler to replace Chad Henney as his backup as a younger alternative. And most importantly, a scheme fit with what they wanted to do with their passing concepts. Mm -hmm. I don't think they saw themselves ever needing to put him in after they willingly gave Blake Bortles a $54 million extension, but it came to that point where they needed to, to quote unquote, put a spark in with this team because they just, they, they, they're not necessarily blaming the quarterback because Dave Caldwell is devoted to making sure Blake Bortles takes his final snap in his prolonged career as a Jaguar. He wants him to retire here. He's married to that guy as his quarterback. So I don't see major changes coming, but Cody Kessler, when you look at him, is he may not be great. You look at what he was scouted as coming out, and it's literally the West Coast offense's like dream quarterback, just not that great. But his strengths come in to what these Jaguars want to do in their passing game. Short to intermediate throws, quick releases, few mistakes. So why didn't you call about Tyrod Taylor instead <laughs> of devoting – not that Taylor's great either, but I'd take him over either of these quarterbacks in a heartbeat. Yeah. So – at least with Kessler, if they put him in, is he can do the basic things they want to do. He's not going to move the needle and make this team a playoff team whatsoever. But in terms of trying to build around a guy that's not great in a vacuum, I would rather build around Cody Kessler in this style of offense than Blake Bortles. So the Jacksonville Jaguars offense is 29 in points per game, 30th in red zone drives turned into touchdowns, 30th in scoring drive frequency. But let's put it on the positive side. What does a typical scoring drive look like for this offense when they actually do move the ball down the field? What has to click? What is the identity? The identity is, like I said, made of paper mache. <laughs> uh, that being Leonard Fournette, when he's on the field, and I know the common take these days is that running backs truly do not matter like they used to. And the game is a passing league and it's a bad thing to take a running back as high as they took Fournette as the giants took Barkley. I don't disagree whatsoever. I tried to take on the fact that they took Fournette as a whelp 
I'm not in a front office and I can't change that type of move. Got to accept it and got to at least just try and see what they're going to do. And when he's on the field and they can run the ball effectively in this style of, you know, eat play clock, maybe not score a ton of points, maybe not be exciting, but effectively move three to four yards at a time and just consistently convert with mixing in those West Coast passing concepts to get teams a little off guard. Maybe the occasional play action, take the top off a defense play. It would, for the most part, work. That's what the offense actually You know, there were times where it looked pretty good last year. Overall, I wouldn't say it was great. I wouldn't say it was bad. I thought it was just average, boring football that was somewhat efficient. When Fournette goes down with a nagging hamstring injury that will end up likely meaning he plays two of his first nine games to start the year, A, that really is telling about Fournette as a player, and you really should have paid attention to those injury concerns coming out of college. But regardless, they don't have that power running back on the field yet. They're hoping Carlos Hyde, who they traded for from the Cleveland Browns, can provide that a little bit to take some pressure off of Bortles, but they can't bet on that at this point because, you know, he is brand new to the system. He wasn't too great in Cleveland. He did a, a decent job. He was getting outperformed by a guy who had like three carries a game in Nick Chubb, who was just, who looked great. But So they're taking a bit of a risk on Hyde, hoping that he can try and help this offense, help Blake Bortles. It's just at this point when they've been missing that power running game, it's looked so bad. I can't imagine that Bortles' confidence is anything but shot at this point. Taking that into consideration, TJ Yeldon is likely to see the bulk of the snaps, I would imagine, at the running back position. What is it that TJ Yeldon, don't worry about the the negatives, he can't do this, he can't do that. What is he good at? Where does he win in his game as a player? I think he's really effective just when you get him the ball. So I'm really curious as to why heading into last week, he only had 24% of the offense's touches. He -hmm. was averaging 5.67, I think, yards per touch. You get him the ball twice on a drive and he's averaging a first down. Obviously there's more context to it than that. (laughs) But, um, but I mean, he was effective. He he's really improved his vision in his four years because he didn't start off too great as a pure runner, but uh, he's elusive, not your speedster type of elusive, but he can make people miss with certain double moves, even on an injured ankle throughout the year. There were times where he missed two or three practices in a week, played that game and still made moves where you could tell he was putting a lot of pressure on that ankle and made defenders miss. And I think that's become truly undervalued as to how well he's played in a stagnant offense at this point. He can also be utilized as a receiver in the underneath game, which is where the Jaguars do want to target. He's up there um, as one of the most effective receivers on this team. So I think he's a two-way threat at this point that is being undervalued by the team. And in return, that might lead to him being undervalued as a whole when you look at him across the NFL and different types of running backs. But I actually believe he's been their most consistent playmaker when he's been given the chance this year. Speaking of playmakers, as you look at these wide receivers on the Jacksonville Jaguars, I've been wholly unimpressed with the tape that I've seen on Dante Moncrief, who you brought in in the offseason. I've been underwhelmed by the poor hands of Keelan Cole. If you are the Jaguars coach, how are you trying to attack this defense and where would the big plays come from and who would they come from as far as the, the targets that you have? Am I allowed to use a quick negative real quick on this one? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> 
Dante Moncrief was signed this offseason as a consolation prize to them not being able to keep Allen Robinson around when they were really stubborn on what type of money they wanted to give him. Mm. The rumor is that Robinson was offered a similar deal here in Jacksonville as to what he was given in Chicago, but it was more incentive driven and not nearly as guaranteed. And that's ultimately what led to him walking. So in a panic move, they extend Marquise Lee, who's nothing more than a possession receiver who's been hurt every year of his career. Dante Moncrief, who had potential coming out of school. There was a lot to like about his combine stats, but like Lee has been hurt every year and he does not separate well, yet they're force feeding him targets. He leads the team in targets. He's the primary read on so many plays because Blake Bortles doesn't really look past his first, maybe second read. He doesn't make a ton of progressions. They try and simplify things. And in return, Moncrief's getting force fed targets that he shouldn't be getting because he just doesn't do it well. You've pointed it out and how lazy some of his route running is. Hmm. Dede Westbrook is this be- the team's best receiver right now. That's something that uh, I didn't really make it was kind of hot takey to start the year because people thought it would be Keelan Cole, but I was kind of on the, in terms of what this offense wants to do and attacking the underneath game. I think that Westbrook ultimately will be this team's number one receiver. He may not be their most talented or most electrifying, but I think in terms of volume and what he can do in this offense, will make him that. And he's been just that he wins on the underneath routes. He averages, I think from next gen stats, like four yards of separation per route. Uh, a lot of that wow. is schemed with, um, you know, they run a lot of crossers. So no. when teams are playing zone, he can attack underneath the linebackers and he's fast enough to get a lot of yards after the catch as so long as, you know, he's given at least a decently thrown ball uh, where he's led a little bit. And you saw more of that from Kessler than you've seen with Bortles, but Bortles will occasionally hit him on that. I think that's the biggest emphasis is if the Eagles are running a lot of their cover three zone, you try and attack the underneath uh, where their zone stats, their stats in coverage for the linebackers are inflated by when they're running zone. Yeah. Uh, you have DD Westbrook doing that with Keelan Cole. He, he really does have the speed to take the top off of defenses and be a deep threat. And they're trying to mold him into an all around guy. And I don't, I don't care what you can do if you're not able to catch the football. There was the play against New England. Everyone saw the incredible one-handed catch. And then he does a sit route in the middle of the field on like third and five, targeted six yards down the field, turned around staring right at the quarterback. And you know that windup is taking forever. So he had a good eye on how long that ball was going to take until it got to him. Plop, drops right out of his hands. And it happened several times during the game. So you can make all the electrifying plays you want. If you can't get down to the basics of catching the ball, I don't know what to tell you. And the last part, and I won't go too long with this because I know I like to rant. Uh, DJ Chark deserves Dante Moncrief snaps 100%. They're trying to do things with Moncrief that Chark has actually shown in glimpses this year that he's actually capable of pulling off winning contested catches potentially being a red zone threat if you can get into the red zone and he separates well uh he's gotten a lot better at sinking his hips into routes than he was at lsu i think we saw a couple of those this past week against houston when he got uh i think he had two catches or three catches and he was separating really well i think he deserves a lot more snaps and i think if you give him that time maybe use him if the passing game is working on the underneath Maybe even give DJ Chark a deep ball on a play action pass just to catch the Eagles off guard if you're able to do that, if you're in the situation to do so. Yeah, look, in the offseason, one of my dark horses, guys that I thought might sneak into the first round and even go to the Jaguars in the first round was, in fact, DJ Chark because 
199, and he runs a 4-3-4. <laughs> Those guys yeah. don't grow on trees, you know what I mean? And he jumped out the gym too. So he's definitely got that deep ball ability. And I remember seeing him in Mobile in the practices, and dude was a competitor. And he was making plays on special teams in the game, and he was fired up. And I, and I really liked what I saw from his game. So I would, I would agree, getting Didi involved more in the underneath game, getting DJ Chark as a bit of a field stretcher would be good for this offense. Uh, part of hitting the deep ball is, of course, protecting the quarterback. You've already alluded to some of the issues on the offensive line when it comes to depth and what they're dealing with at their tackle position. Cam Robinson is out for the year, the former first-round pick from Alabama. Or was he a second-round pick? He was an early second-round pick, excuse me. Early second, yeah. What are the issues that they're having? Can they block up this Eagles front four? Josh Walker can't. (laughs) (laughs) Their left tackle, yeah. Yeah, and to make matters worse, let's say he gets hurt or they try and do a spark move like they did with Kessler at quarterback, except at left tackle. Their alternative option right now is no one else than a guy that the Eagles are certainly familiar with playing him twice a year for the past three or four years. (laughs) Eric flowers who they signed after he was released a couple of weeks ago by the New York giants. Uh, I it's kind of, I guess the best way to put it is exotic, but the team has alluded to this in the past. They're confident in their really athletic center, one of the better centers and in interior offensive linemen, in my opinion, across the NFL and Brandon Linder to the point mm. where they think he can play center. He can play both guard positions and they have even worked him in at left tackle and have said they're confident enough to play him there. Wow. <laughs> I mean, last year when Linder went out as well as Patrick Omame, who's now a guard for the New York Giants. And he's terrible. They had a guy named Tyler Shatley, who they've developed since 2014 as an interior offensive lineman come in. And in, I think a four game stretch in pass protection allowed seven pressures. I think that he's a serviceable guy. You can put in in a pinch to play at center or across the interior offensive line. So let's get weird, man. Let's put Linder at left tackle and Shatley at center. (laughs) And honestly, that's I I guarantee that that's going to yield better results than a guy who converted from right guard, never played the position of left tackle in his life, and in two and a half games has allowed eighteen pressures, according to PFF. Oh Lord! You guys, oh. you the Eagles are going to have themselves a very fun day attacking on the left side. I promise you. So yeah, you you convinced me there. Uh, flip, flipping it to the the defensive side of the ball, where the Jaguars are actually hashtag good. Zach, would I be wrong, and I probably would be, in saying that this isn't the same buzzsaw shutdown defense that we saw last year, or is it more product of the situations that they're put in by the offense? Because from what I'm looking at, they're tied for the fifth worst in starting field position for defenses due to offense, and I guess some special teams would play a role in that too. They do allow a higher number of scoring drives than I would imagine, but they're mostly field goals, and they're allowing the second most frequency of drives to go for field goals, but conversely, they're allowing the second least amount of drives that go for touchdowns. And again, all this is under the umbrella of frequency. So, Zach, let let me restate the question. 2017 defense versus 2018 defense, is there much of a difference, and if so, why? I think there is, and I think the way you originally worded the question that is this a product of them maybe not doing as well or the offense putting them in bad situations, I think both are correct. And this this defense, I would argue, just when you look at them on paper, is – as talented as they were last year. And I mean, obviously they should be because they were come they have like 
God knows how many pro bowlers and 10 of the 11 starters returned. And the one starter that didn't technically to Aaron Colvin, who was the nickel corner signed mm-hmm. with Houston and the strong side linebacker, Paul Puzlesny retired. So I guess you count two starters in a way. I would say Paul Puzlesny is uh, retiring is an upgrade. I oh, rock, yeah. oh 100% agree. And I think Leon <laughs> Jacobs has done a great job at Sam linebacker and DJ yeah. Hayden when he's actually been on the field has done a great job at nickel. I am not confident in Todd Wash. And I know a lot of people before the year started were calling for him to be the next great head coach that came out of um, Pete Carroll's type of system, the defense that they like to run. And I I wasn't confident in it then, and I'm definitely not confident in it now. Obviously, the offense is putting them in a lot of bad situations. When Bortles was on the field and they turned the ball over twice against Houston, the average starting field position for the Texans was their own 24-yard line. That put 10 points on the board right there out of the Houston's 20. But Todd Wash is playing ultra-conservative. He runs a ton of zone, and when he does run man, very rarely do you see any press or tight man you see a lot of off man that's giving a ton of cushion. We wouldn't know what that's like here in Philadelphia, not at all. <laughs> and the Jaguars like to run a lot of four man um, rushes. They don't like yeah. to blitz. That's great if you've got the guys that can do it, and they certainly do. But when it comes to the point where you are refusing to adjust from running so with so much cushion to where teams of even like recently Dak Prescott has not been what he was his rookie year at all. It was regarded as a game. The Jaguars should have done well against the pass. And even he came in and ate them up because he just took what they gave him with all that cushion and that room to work underneath to where they're releasing the ball so quick. It doesn't matter that Yannick Ngakwe has 30 pressures on the year and is still getting near the quarterback because the ball is out so quickly that this defense is just getting eaten up. Zach, I said, describe the Jaguars defense, not the Eagles defense. (laughs) <laughs> I get, be clear. Uh, yeah yeah and and, and i mean I you, have, you man you have you, you and i can definitely see the comparisons because you look at both teams and you see especially along the front four just dynamic pass rushes on both sides right yeah and that they they're yielding the same issues and i think that's going to be i think that's actually something that someone that's smarter than me at football you could really dive in and do a cool project of, of multiple defenses across the league just to see how offenses with the firepower we're seeing these days and defenses and their inability to adjust to what the new face of the passing offense in the NFL is doing. I think that'd mm. be a really cool project. Anyway, I think if the Jaguars can find a way to eliminate guys like Alshon Jeffrey and even a guy who's been force fed targets underneath him, Nelson Aguilar with playing a little bit more press rather than opening up, you know, the underneath zones. And maybe like you mentioned on my show, having Jalen Ramsey shadowing Alshon Jeffrey, I think that'd mm. be a really fun matchup to watch if they were to end up doing that, that, that can solve a lot of the issues because the pass rush has the ability to get home, but they can only do so much when offenses are constantly taking what they're being given. So seeing a little bit more variance on this defense would do them a lot of favors. Maybe, I mean, the people say at best Blake Bortles struggles if he has anything less than perfect supporting cast on both offense and defense, which is really, really, really telling about your quarterback. But <laughs> Maybe the logic is sound that if the run game were to do well and the defense was able to eliminate offenses from marching down the field, 
then the offense might perform a little bit better, but that's also an incredibly unrealistic expectation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, keeping on the defensive side of the ball, uh, one more question before we get to scores and predictions. What I've noticed, and this is uh, has a big impact on, on what the Eagles like to do, the Eagles run 12 and 13 personnel at a league high, over 40%. I haven't charted the last game yet, but last I checked, it was at 44%, led the league, two and three tight end personnel sets. What the Jaguars have encountered with against those sets is typically bringing in Ronnie Harrison, the backup safety to Barry Church, the rookie out of uh, Alabama Harrison is. They run a lot of big nickel to combat those two and three tight end sets. What does he bring to this defense to where they feel comfortable putting him on the field in that situation? I personally think he should be playing all the strong safety reps over Barry Church anyway, and maybe forcing Church, who, albeit is not as fast as he used to be, just getting up there in age, playing that big nickel role where he's constantly playing closer to the box than he is out in coverage. But I think Ronnie Harrison's done a good job both coming down against the run, getting off of blocks and being able to make stops is one thing that he does well. And in pass coverage, they've been struggling with injuries at nickel to where they forced him in. And there are the rookie bumps uh, every now and then where he seems a little out of zone. But for the most part, I think he's done a decent enough job with how athletic that he is to defend in the passing game. Now, when teams line up in 12 and 13 personnel and are trying to utilize their tight ends, the Jaguars have actually... It sounds weird to say, but instead of using their big-bodied physical safeties, they actually employ their free safety to Sean Gibson when they're running off, when they're running man concepts mm. to defend a guy like Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski. And Kelsey had a decent game in the Kansas City game, but what can you do at that point when they are firing on all cylinders in every part of the passing game? So I don't think Gibson did a bad job either. And I don't think Kelsey had like a great game, but he did a decent job against Ronkowski when the defense was a lot more in sync, Gibson shut him down. And I think that if they're running man concepts, you're going to see a lot of that because they're confident in Gibson's ability to take on these guys who are five inches and 50 pounds bigger than he is. I don't know how they originally got that confidence, but it's paid its dividends to where that could be something that they do. Now, when you're then defending Dallas Goddard, who's also in the similar size range, you really just will need to employ one of your safeties to get as physical with him as you possibly can in that box in order to try and stop him because those are two giant red zone threats right there just when you look at their size and ability to make plays in the ball in general. So I think we've covered this part of our preview for the Jaguars and Eagles. Of course, me and Benjamin Solak will be doing our two preview shows. There'll be a BGN radio dedicated to this game as well. Zach, I appreciate you coming by. Will you give us a score prediction? Who you think wins? Is this the first loss that the Jaguars... Is it the first loss that they would see in London? No, they had their two original games in London um blanking I think one was San Francisco and one was Dallas they're on a three game win streak streak right now in Dallas so this would break that okay and it would also result in a four game slide for the Jaguars I am not confident in the direction of the team right now especially with sticking to turnover prone Blake Bortles despite your biggest issues being the turnover differential. I've got the Eagles taking this 24 to 13 and breaking the streak. I like it. Zach, let the gentle listeners know where they can find all of your work. 
You guys can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. That is spelled with an H, the correct way to spell Zach. Uh, all of my work for the Jaguars is done at Locked On Jaguars podcast and website. Got a lot of content coming um, everyone's way if you guys are into checking in on how a similar team to the Eagles, you know, contenders a year ago turned three and four this year. If you're willing to try and look for some comparisons, feel free to check out my work over there. I also cover the UCF Knights. You're a national champion, uh, division one team, uh, for UCF black and gold banneret, part of SB nation. Uh, so you guys can, all of that stuff is put on my Twitter. So you guys might as well follow while you're there. He's been Zach Goodall. I've been Michael Kiss. Thank you for tuning in to the Kiss and Solak show. We will be back in the morning with a new Kiss and Solak show breaking down the Jaguars offense against the Philadelphia Eagles defense. So check that out. Hang with us. And remember, we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers.